Welcome to the Fireside Giants podcast by Empire Sports Media. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson, and the New York Giants are gearing up for their Week 16 matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles on Christmas Day. It's going to be a tough one if the Giants pull out a win. I'll be thrilled because I want to see Tommy DeVito beat the Eagles. However, they're 13.5-point underdogs. It's very unlikely that the New York Giants walk away on Christmas Day with a victory, though it would be a nice Christmas miracle for all of us Giants fans. But looking ahead to these final three weeks of the season, I think the Giants have a uh, statistical 0.1% chance of making the playoffs or something crazy like that. It's over. It's Jover. Like the Giants are not making it to the postseason. But over these final three weeks, there's still a few important things that could happen, right? Like we can develop some talent. We could see what we have on the football field. And that's what I want to discuss with Evan Neal. We haven't seen him since week nine when Daniel Jones went down with that injury. Of course, that's the one that grabbed all the headlines. But Evan Neal went down in that game as well with an ankle injury against the Raiders when we haven't seen him since. The seven games that he played this year, just about all seven of them were atrocious on the part of Evan Neal. He played poorly in every single one of those. Even the one win that he was on the field for that the Giants got against the Arizona Cardinals, he wasn't even good in that game. So Evan Neal, a disaster season, plagued by poor performances and a ton of injuries. And then if you're looking back to last year, his rookie year, that was also terrible. So what the hell do the Giants even have in this former seventh overall draft pick in Evan Neal? And what can they do with him going forward? And also, these final three weeks of the season, if he plays... What can he prove to this team that gives him any kind of confidence going into the offseason? Because if there's one player that needs to prove something before this offseason rolls around so he doesn't get replaced, it's probably Evan Neal. So we're going to go ahead and discuss kind of our thoughts on Evan Neal and what he can do in these final three weeks. I have a, one solution, one little idea to throw out there that I will once we dive into this episode about Evan Neal. But other than that, it's going to be tough sledding for him as we enter, approach this offseason. Another important factor of this offseason, what are the Giants going to do at the top of the draft? Well, some mock drafts have them taking a really exciting quarterback that Alex is in love with, and I know he's excited to discuss but we'll talk about Evan Neal first before we dive into either of those topics Alex how are you doing today my friend and what are your thoughts on Evan Neal and how he can kind of prove himself across these final three weeks of the season if he even suits up the plays well we know one thing uh Evan Neal's been ruled out for the game on Monday against the Eagles so that's not good um you know obviously <laughs> so there's one game down you have two games left to evaluate him if he even comes back not good for Evan Neal, I'll say that. But I'm doing pretty well, you know, getting ready for the holidays. I hope everyone's um, safely getting to their families or welcoming in family and having some good safe um, time and getting some good gifts. And, you know, having an all together winding down this 2023 that's been quite hectic. I, I don't – I can't say I love 2023. I'm hoping 2024 is uh, much better and, you know, the Giants are better and, you know, just – Everything about New York sports and the teams that you guys support all um, are very successful. But, of course, in Giants land, we're still sifting through a lot of different problematic scenarios, turbulent waters ahead, um, trying to navigate this draft and, you know, the right tackle position. Really, like, right tackle has been the bane of our existence for quite some time now. You know, we have Andrew Thomas. Thank goodness. Got to get him back healthy, ready to go. Um, he'll be ready to go in 2024, hopefully, you know, um, barring anything, you know, outside of this uh, hamstring injury he's been dealing with for quite a while now. So, Evan Neal, what does he have to do to convince me that there's any hope left for him? Well, the unfortunate reality is the Giants have no choice but for him to compete at right tackle next year as well. They need to bring in somebody. I don't know if it's a draft pick. I don't know if it's a free agent signing. I don't know if it's a trade uh, asset, like someone we trade for, maybe on an expiring deal. So here's the truth, though. 
um, to the crowd of people, and you know this will segue us into the quarterback conversation. You know what what the ESPN mock draft has the Giants doing in, at fourth overall, where they project them to land. Let's talk about one narrative that people are pushing at this very moment. So a lot of people are saying the Giants should go and draft an offensive tackle in Joe Alt out of Notre Dame um, to support this offensive line. You know, there's Oshu uh, Fashanu. There's some, there's some really great offensive line prospects at the top of this draft. However, the worst thing that a team can do is overdraft um, at one position. The Giants, if they were to go in that direction, you know, draft another offensive tackle in top five picks, would have spent three top ten selections in the last four years on offensive tackle. That is an unsustainable model of building a team. You cannot build a team investing three top 10 picks in four years at the same position. It's not sustainable. We just invested the eighth overall pick two years ago on Evan Neal, and obviously that did not pan out. At least it hasn't yet. I think that we need to go out and get a proven commodity, whether it's trading for, you know, you've mentioned like Jonah Williams, like you've mentioned some guys in the past, guys that may be able to trade for on expiring contracts or maybe a free agent that's at least serviceable, can compete with um, Evan Neal. But most of all, most of all, we need to bring in a competent coach because other teams go out and draft guys in the mid-rounds or pick up undrafted guys, and somehow they develop into fine starters, fine players, average at the very least. Why is it that we're investing top 10 uh, capital and we can't even get average talent from that? That is a coaching problem. Evan Neal was very good at Alabama. There is no, there's no doubt in my mind he could have been a fine player at, at right tackle in, in, this, in this league, but he hasn't been. And I blame coaching heavily for that because his fundamentals are poor. The way he reacts to things are poor. His processing is poor. Those things can be taught. You know, you can teach and, and increase those things. We saw with Evan, we saw with Andrew Thomas. We've seen it with you know Austin Jackson over in over in um, Miami. We've seen it with many players. They get better over time with good coaching. The Giants have bad offensive line coaching. That is a, a detriment to this this line's success over the past couple of years. Andrew Thomas has done a lot of the work on his own. He he got better during the offseason alone, working out on his own with his own trainers. That is where he got better. Not Mark Colombo, not Bobby Johnson, none of those guys. He did it on his own. Evan Neal went and tried to do it on his own, but I think he got to the Giants, and Bobby Johnson started to change it up again. I think that ultimately he has had no consistency. The injuries haven't helped. Um, so, you know, I'm giving him a little bit of a, of a sliver of hope he could get back in, into the, the competition, the conversation here. But the truth is simple. The Giants cannot go into 2024 with Evan Neal as their true and tried starter. That is not sustainable. They need to bring in somebody to compete with him, whether it be a George Fant, whether it be anybody trading for somebody. Um, you know, e even if it means drafting someone in the second round to compete with him at right tackle, it's got to be something at the very least. They cannot sustain this any longer. Um, and with that being said, Invest a little bit of money at guard. You've, you've mentioned Robert Hunt. I've mentioned Kevin Zeitler. There's options. The Giants have to throw some money at right guard. Left guard, I'm fine with Ben Bredesen at left guard. You know, you, in Josh Azudu, he can kind of play that swing role, that utility role. Ben Bredesen's not a great player, but he's also not a right guard. He's actually a left guard, and he's struggled at right guard lately. Um, I think that he's an average level left guard. You can, you can survive with that, in my opinion, if you go out and spend bigger um, on a right guard, personally, because like you look at Andrew Thomas and John Michael Schmitz, those two guys next to Ben Bredesen, I think that is serviceable. I think that's fine. But right guard being a liability now is problematic. I think that you, because it's, it's, you can't overhaul the whole line, you know what I mean? You're going to have to choose, pick and choose where you invest. I think you upgrade right guard, and you, and you try to bring in competition at right tackle, and I think that's uh, a reasonable path forward. You know, I know you probably have your thoughts on that. I know you may be questioning Ben Bredesen's role in this entire equation. Um, you know, what are you, what are you thinking about this? 
No, my facial reactions weren't questioning Ben Bredesen's role because I think that he should be extended. I like Ben Bredesen. I don't think that he should be considered a, a bona fide starter for the Giants. He should be a player that they have to start and they can get by with. You know, that's fine. Ideally, want him in that backup role playing left guard, right guard, and center whenever he needs to. But my idea for left guard is actually Evan Neal. He is a left guard. You know, a lot of fans talk about him playing right tackle, move him into right guard because it's the right side of the line. It's actually not the position that he played in college. His freshman year at Alabama, he was the starting left guard. And I think that he would be comfortable there. And if you think about it, in college, he played left guard, then right tackle, then left tackle, really dominated in his final season at Alabama at left tackle. I think he's more comfortable on the left side of the offensive line. He's really struggled to get used to the right side of the offensive line with the New York Giants at right tackle. But I think you plug him in over at left guard, you have him get used to playing on the interior again, and you put him back on the left side where he's more comfortable. In my opinion, that is the only way you salvage Evan Neal's career. That is the only way that you fix him. And then you go into free agency and you try and find a stopgap right tackle like a Jonah Williams, who you mentioned, Alex, and who I've mentioned in the past, or maybe even a Robert Hunt at right guard, of course, because I, I know a lot of fans in that episode where we talked about Robert Hunt said, why would the Dolphins ever let him walk in free agency? It's actually pretty simple, guys. They just spent how much? 16 or $18 million per season on Austin Jackson at right tackle. I, listen, I know a lot of teams will do the double investment. A lot of teams won't, and I could see them passing on re-signing Robert Hunt because they already re-signed Austin Jackson. There is some belief in some Dolphins fans that they were going to pick one or the other and probably not invest that much money and re-sign both of them because they have a lot of other contracts that they have to hand out as well. So there's a lot of reason to believe that Robert Hunt will hit free agency, and if he does, as I mentioned before, that should be the New York Giants' number one target in free agency. No, he won't come cheap. It's probably $18 million per season to get Robert Hunt, but that fixes your right guard spot for good. And then you have a good center, John Michael Schmitz, who grows over the next few years. Still got your left tackle in Andrew Thomas. Big question mark at right tackle. Maybe you spend a little bit more money there. Maybe you draft somebody. But then I think at left guard, that's where you throw Evan Neal. You plug him in at left guard, and you hope that he harkens back to his freshman year at Alabama, where he was a dominant left guard. That's where he started out. That's what he should be playing right now, in my opinion. So, yeah, again, I wasn't negatively reacting to the idea of Ben Bredesen. I totally think he should be back next year. Maybe not in a starting capacity, but if he needs to start, he could go ahead and start. But really, that left guard spot, in my opinion, if if uh, if Evan Neal is still on this team next season, uh, he, that's his spot. He should be moved into left guard. I know that the Giants said that they don't want to move him onto the interior. He said that he was born to play tackle. Brother, no, you weren't. If you were born to play tackle, you would have entered the league playing like Rashawn Slater did when he entered the league. So just move over to left guard where you were more comfortable in college, play there, and hope to turn your career around. And for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure that when Eric Flowers left the Giants, he didn't move into right guard. He moved into left guard with the Miami Dolphins, and that's where he turned his career around. So maybe we see something similar with Evan Neal. So that kind of ties back to the first topic that I brought up here is what can Evan Neal do in these final three weeks? I didn't realize he wasn't playing on Monday, but let's talk about maybe this, the Rams game coming up and then that Philadelphia game to end the season. If Evan Neal's healthy and he's playing, I don't want to see him play right tackle. I think that the Giants should let him play left guard in those final two games. If he shows drastic improvement in those final two games playing left guard I think you go into next season not comfortable but confident or hopeful at least optimistic that he can be your starting left guard next season I think it makes a lot of sense so I'd love to hear some thoughts on that in the comment section as well I want to hear if any fans think you know move him to left guard let's see him on the interior let's see that in the final two weeks of the season and hope to, to make him our starting left guard next season I know a lot of fans are saying you can't trust Evan Neal no matter what I kind of agree with you you really can't trust him but again 
those final two games of the season. If he plays left guard and he looks halfway decent, I think you can move into next year and hope for the best. Hope that he develops into your starting left guard and then you reinvest your money elsewhere at right guard and right tackle. And again, as you mentioned, Alex, there's some there's some tackles that you could probably target at the beginning of the draft or the second round or something if you don't want to go with that in the first round because I know that a lot of Giants fans do want a quarterback in the first round. I am one of those fans. So now let's start, dive into that second topic, Alex. Let's talk even more about Jaden Daniels because if you're looking at ESPN's latest mock draft from Matt Miller, their lead draft analyst, he had the Giants taking Jaden Daniels with the number four overall pick in the draft. And he even mentions in his explanation of the pick, it's probably high. It's probably a reach. However, teams reach on quarterbacks because they're so desperate to get the right guy in the building. And he does not believe that the Giants think they have that right guy in the building in Daniel Jones. So Matt Miller mock drafting Jaden Daniels to the Giants at number four overall. For me personally, if this is the way it goes, the Giants hold the fourth pick, they take Jaden Daniels. Will I think that it's arguably a reach too high for Jaden Daniels? Yes, but no, because I don't think that you can reach on a quarterback because what if Patrick Mahomes, when he was the 20th projected pick in the draft, went first overall, and then he panned out to be the Patrick Mahomes that he is? No, it's not a reach. It's it's You're hitting. It's all about hitting on the quarterback spot. It doesn't matter where you draft them. If you draft them and they pan out and they become a good player, it's automatically a hit. You can't reach on the quarterback spot if you get the quarterback right. And so I think that's the argument that Matt Miller was making. I think that's the argument that the Giants will make if they do reach on Jaden Daniels, reach on Jaden Daniels in the upcoming draft. And again, I think that he would be a great pick for them. I'll dive into more about why I like him so much and you know why I think he would be a good pick for them after I let you give your take on it. Alex is number four overall if that's where the Giants end up picking. Is that somewhere you're comfortable taking a QB three? You know, of course, Caleb and Drake are probably going to go one and two and then at four are you comfortable taking a QB maybe reaching on him if he's projected to go 20th overall you find with the Giants reaching and pulling a guy a little bit earlier in the draft order just because they know that they got to get that quarterback in the room Dude, we took Daniel Jones sixth overall I'm absolutely fine taking Jaden Daniels fourth overall I think you know this look I'm trying to be open-minded guys I'm trying to think about the alternatives, what the Giants could do as as a a different thing, and like I I thought about every angle. Like I know you guys have too. <clears throat> I've thought about the quarterback angle. I've thought about the wide receiver angle. I thought about the offensive line angle. And and here's my overarching thoughts here. If you go offensive line, you're dooming him. You're dooming an offensive line prospect to more bad coaching. Unless you go out and get like a a really great coach, you're dooming this player to what we've watched happen for multiple years for multiple players these guys can't get better like we just don't have the coaching talent for it um i don't know what it is i really don't i it's it, it's bewildering to me it really is um i don't trust that we could change a joe alt or a fashanu into a caliber tackle that can protect whatever quarterback we have don't i just don't believe it the second thing is here alt fashanu they're left tackles guys they're not right tackles. You're going to have to transition their position. They're going to struggle. It's totally different. You can ask any of these guys, any any coach or any uh, player. It's a totally different fundamental base. You have to change your angles. You have to change everything. It's not so simple. Make people make it, people think it's so easy. It's like trying to throw left-handed. I think that's someone said that a couple, a couple months back. Like It's like trying to throw left-handed. It's like literally you have to change your entire balance and your technique. Um, it's not so simple. So right off the bat, you're putting a player in a disadvantage. The second thing is, 
you're like I said before, you're now investing a third top ten pick in an offensive uh, tackle uh, position that you cannot develop unless they're doing it on their own, like Andrew Thomas did. So that's problematic in itself. You need to go out and get a proven commodity, a veteran with experience. That's that's my personal opinion. So that's the logic that I've come to. That's the sequence I've followed. Let's talk about wide receiver. Um, now there is a there is a very valid argument to make the Giants would go after like a Marvin Harrison Jr. or like a Neighbors or, you know, one of those top guns um, at the top of the draft because like, yes, like we need that top gun. We need a wide receiver one. But the, the argument that people are making, and, and this is, I'm going to throw it right back at you, the people that are making this argument, the people that are arguing that we shouldn't draft the quarterback because we aren't going to be able to protect him also don't understand that if you draft a wide receiver, you're not going to be able to protect the quarterback to throw him to the receiver. Okay, these things are all connected. There's a corresponding link here. So your only play here is to draft an offensive tackle first over, uh, in the first round, which is unsustainable. You can't build a team continuously throwing first-round picks at the offensive line. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not proven. You can't do it. Um, you need to spread those picks out. You need to give love to other positions because we're just not developing these players properly. We need to throw some money at these positions, in my opinion. People that have proven like look if you go and you and you get a free agent you trade for someone that's proven whatever it might be at least you know they have experience and they can be at least average you know what i mean because we're just looking for average play at right tackle we're, we're just not we just don't need a turnstile anymore so you know if you go receiver and keep in mind this is a really deep receiver class i know anthony you can vouch for that this receiver class is one of the deepest ones we've seen in years we can get a really good receiver at the top of the second round Guys like DK Metcalf are like, you know, those are the type of players that a lot of teams have landed in the second round and gotten so much value out of. We can get a really great talent there. We don't have to get neighbors. I mean, of course, we'd love to have him, but we don't have the quarterback or the offensive line to throw him the football anyway. So what's the point? What are we really doing here? Um, the second thing is the quarterback position leads us to Jaden Daniels, who is the player that obviously you mentioned, uh, Matt Miller from ESPN, suggests the Giants draft. Why am I on board with Jaden Daniels? It's not so much about Jaden Daniels as it is about Drake May, Caleb Williams, or Daniels. Either three of those guys, I'm fine with. Do I love Jaden Daniels? Yes. I think that we should draft him if he's fourth overall there because Williams and May will be off the board. That's that's kind of the reality of the situation. Giants can take Daniels. He's a dual-threat quarterback. He can work in structure. He can work in rhythm. He's got the best deep ball in this draft class, bar none. It is gorgeous. If you want to maximize Jalen Hyatt, you want to maximize speedsters on the edge, that's the guy to have. Jaden Daniels is going to maximize that. He has very quick processor. He gets through his progressions. He can make those plays. Those plays on third and long in the fourth quarter at the end of the game, and you need to pick it up, he can run for those first downs. You know what I mean? Like, he's that good. Alternatively, you're imagine you're in Joe Shane's shoes right now. You have one more year to figure out this team. You have one more year to prove that you're trending in the right direction. Are you really going to invest your last year – on Daniel Jones coming back from an ACL tear last year, guys, everyone was like, well, he did so well last year. Over 700 yards of his production came on the ground. He's coming off an ACL tear. How confident can we be that he's going to pick it up right where he left off as a running quarterback? I, I personally can't. We remember Saquon coming off that ankle, off that, off that torn ACL. It took him months to get looking back to normal. I don't believe that Daniel Jones is going to walk right back in there and, and, and lean on that running game because it's not happening. It's not. So... You know, that's my take there on that angle. And at the same time, Daniel Jones is one significant injury away from his career ending. One big neck injury away. And he's already had multiple. Um, one surgery, another herniated disc. Like, it's not it's – a, it's a problematic situation at this point. And more reports coming out. If he goes down, if he gets another season-ending injury, the Giants owe him $25 million in additional guaranteed money. They cannot afford to pay that. 
They can't afford to pay that, guys. It's not, it's, it's everything about Daniel Jones right now is screaming, move on. Everything, the, in the knee injury, uh, the offensive line, everything. And now you'll, you'll argue back, but we need to draft an offensive line to support Daniel Jones. Guys, you're, you're expecting a rookie offensive lineman to step in who's never played right tackle before to save Daniel Jones' career in the Giants before they take the out in his contract. Think about how unrealistic that sounds. It's just, look, I'm, 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 I've gone through all the angles. I've gone through all the logic. It doesn't make sense, at least to me, you know, at least to me, in my opinion. Of course, you guys are allowed to have different opinions, and I respect that. Obviously, happy to have a good conversation as long as we're not calling each other hostile names on Twitter. You know, I'm happy to have those conversations. Um, and, and the truth is, is like I've just worked through it. I've done the research. I've done the looking. I've looked at the contracts. I've looked at the players. I've looked at all these guys. And I just can't fathom why people are still so committed to Daniel Jones after five years and multiple season-ending injuries. I, I just don't get it. I mean, Anthony, I'll, I'll let you give your take. Jaden Daniels is a special player with special upside. His ceiling is is so high you can't cap it you know like are we really going to pass on the opportunity for look what brian dable just did with tommy devito and i know anthony you love tommy devito you saw what he did Jaden daniels is objectively a better player a better prospect a better talents and not even it's not even remotely close i want to see what brian dable can do with a player of that upside that's that will save their jobs and i think they also acknowledge that for what it's worth yeah, I think they'll acknowledge that. I mean, listen, Jaden Daniels, you're right. Like, the ceiling is obviously higher for a guy like Jaden Daniels, who's probably running a 4 4, a 4 3 40, could throw the ball deep with pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, the ceiling is there. I'm just going to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Alex, listeners, you all know where I stand. If Jaden Daniels is on the board at number four, I want to take him. Like, I want the quarterback. I want to reset the window. I want to restart. Get somebody with a high ceiling and high traits, amazing traits, and hopefully build around him. And one last argument that I'll throw into that is a lot of fans have talked about Brian Dable's part in this equation, right? How Brian Dable leave Daniel Jones with Brian Dable. You know, maybe he can continue to develop him. Look at how he pulled uh, talent out of Tommy DeVito in a short amount of time. Look at how he made uh, Tyrod Taylor find success so quickly. Like these quarterbacks develop really rapidly and find immediate success with Brian Dable, right? That's one of the arguments for keeping Daniel Jones. It's also one of the arguments for drafting a new rookie quarterback with crazy traits and a super high ceiling. You could probably assume that they're going to immediately step into the Brian Dable system, get his coaching, and have immediate success. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but say that the rookie quarterback is going to have immediate success because oftentimes quarterbacks struggle in their first maybe two seasons before turning around and having success, but you can make the argument that because it's Brian Dable drafting this quarterback, they could find success rather quickly, and even if you don't think they find it quickly, you have to bank on the fact that Dable's going to develop them properly and they will become a successful player. I think oftentimes it really is about getting guys with amazing traits and a high ceiling and just plucking them into the right system with the right coach to develop. But I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, Alex, because you know you really argued and advocated for drafting Jaden Daniels there. I'll play the other side of the fence just so we can have a little bit of discourse back and forth. And I'll say, like, those offensive tackle prospects at the top of this draft are incredible. Like, Joe Alt is a great player. Olufashanu is one of the best pass-protecting offensive tackles that's come out maybe in the last decade. Like, top five, top three. He's a really, really good pass-protecting offensive tackle. And I guess the argument would be... You build up that offensive line, 
and you just hope for the best with the quarterback position. Maybe you go with a free agency and you get a stopgap. Maybe you bank on a guy like Tyrod Taylor to be a game manager and develop everything else. I think that there are there are reasons that you can argue for taking the tackle. And I think that the, the reason paramount is you want to take the best player available. If your draft board looks like this, number one, Caleb, number two, Drake May, number three, Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay, all three of those guys are off the board, but number four player on our draft board is Olu Fashanu. Number five is Joe Alt. Number six is Neighbors. And somewhere around number 15 is Jaden Daniels. Do you take that number 15 over the number four, five, or six that's sitting right there? Now, I know that you would, Alex, and I probably would too, and most teams that are in dire need of a quarterback would take that quarterback, even though they're they're ranked much lower on the draft board. But some teams, some general managers, some front offices, they won't do that. They will take best player available, draft and develop the best talent there on the board. And you can make a strong argument that in that situation, number four overall, the best talent on the board would be Olu Fashanu or maybe Malik Neighbors, one of those two guys, and it wouldn't be Jaden Daniels because he's not a finished product, and he does have some pretty big red flags like his slender frame and all that stuff. There are reasons to assume that a team would take some of those other more polished prospects that are graded higher on their board over Jaden Daniels because they don't want to reach and they don't want to get it wrong. Some GMs, some coaches have a lot riding on each draft and you can make that argument right there for Joe Shane. What if he drafts Jaden Daniels and Jaden Daniels performs really poorly as a rookie and the Giants only win two games? Joe Shane's probably getting fired and then he drafted that quarterback for no reason. But if he go, if he goes ahead, he drafts Olu Fashanu, Olu Fashanu or Malik Neighbors. Let's say he drafts Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors is Offensive Rookie of the Year. The Giants finish with a middling record. His job is probably safe because he drafted a rookie of the year player. So you can make an argument that this team and that many teams aren't going to reach on quarterback talent because they want to get the best player available because they have more riding on it than just, I got to get the right quarterback. Maybe they have, I got to get good players in this room. I got, I got to get some talent in here and figure out the quarterback situation later. There are arguments to make. And so I, while you and I are, are in agreement, Alex, I do think that it's kind of necessary to address the other side of the coin, flip the coin over and take a look at it and evaluate and say, okay, here are some of the arguments against what we believe in. Um, and I think that it's reasonable to assume that maybe the Giants will go best player available uh, because they just need talented players. And when you look at this offense, you plug a Malika Neighbors into this offense, you probably change the entire landscape of this offense and this team. And you probably make whatever quarterback is back there 10 times better. Now, I'm not saying that you make them a superstar. I'm not saying that drafting that receiver brings you to the Super Bowl or even the playoffs, but you make that quarterback better because you give them a really good receiving talent. And you probably do the same if that offensive tackle that you draft steps in and becomes that instant impact, a great pass protector. But again, those opportunities, those situations panning out are so few and far between. So many of the best wide receiver prospects step into the league and they don't make that impact year one. They make it year two or three. Can the Giants really wait that long? Those offensive tackle prospects, they step into the league, they struggle year one. Year two, all of a sudden, they're dominant. Can the Giants wait two years for an offensive tackle to step in and start dominating? Can they really build like that? In my opinion, no. And that's why you got to get the quarterback in and then build around him. 
That's my opinion. But again, I see why some teams or some fans would say, take the best player available. That's how you hit. That's how you draft well. I mean, if you take a look at, let's let's look in division with um, the Dallas Cowboys. When they drafted C.D. Lamb, they still had Des Bryant. They did not need a wide receiver. They took the best player available. It was a luxury pick. Now they have a WR1 paired with their quarterback, and they look like Super Bowl contenders this year. So you can make the argument that you take the best player available every single time, and then you develop that player, and that's how you stack all of that top-end talent on your roster. And maybe sometimes reaching for the quarterback is the wrong thing to do. And you can argue that that's what the Giants did in 2019. Maybe they should have taken the best player available in Josh Allen, the pass rusher right there with the number six overall pick, not taking Daniel Jones and figured out the quarterback situation later. They'd probably be in a better situation. They'd have a more rounded out roster and they would have gotten a quarterback the following season and it would have been a Justin Herbert or a Tua Vailoa, and the Giants would probably per- be perennial playoff contenders. So yeah, there are arguments to make against taking that quarterback in the first round. While I'm in favor of taking Jaden Daniels with that number four to number eight overall pick, wherever the Giants are picking... I think that you can make an argument that going best player available and figuring out the quarterback later, it does make sense, especially when you look at Daniel Jones at number six overall. They did reach on the quarterback position. They missed on the quarterback position, arguably. Um, and because of that, they, they sacrificed the opportunity to, to land some other talents like a Josh Allen. And now here we are five years later looking for a new quarterback. So that is something that the Giants might be fearful of. Maybe they don't want to reach on a quarterback once again um, and be stuck kind of sitting there saying, man, I wish we had Malik Neighbors on this roster. Instead, we have another quarterback that doesn't pan out. I think that there's an argument to be made about that. So I guess before we wrap this, Alex, kind of looking at that devil's devil's advocate argument that I just made there, you know, the Giants reached on Daniel Jones. They, they sacrificed other talent on the board. They should have had Josh Allen and maybe Justin Herbert in 2020, right? That That's an alternate scenario that could have happened. Do you have any fear that that happens once again? Like, I know that you really like Jaden Daniels. You think he's a great prospect, but if you reach on him and you miss, that kind of sets you back pretty far, right? That probably sets your franchise back another five years like we just did. So does that kind of come into play for you? Do you think about that and think, all right, maybe maybe I won't be up in arms and I won't be upset if the Giants go ahead and just take the best player available? Well, okay, so it's, it's a really good question because, of course, like, you have buyer's remorse or hindsight's twenty twenty, but the truth is simple. If you have a Malik Neighbors or you have a Marvin Harrison Jr., but you don't have a quarterback, you're wasting them too. You know what I mean? Even if you go best player available, there's no guarantee they're going to pan out. You know, they still are, they still are prospects at the end of the day. The most important position in football is quarterback, and there is nothing anyone can do to argue against that fact. Quarterback is the most important position on the field at any given moment, every single day of the week, and you can't argue it. And if you do, I, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, and the honest truth is you have to keep swinging at quarterbacks until you find one. People will tell me, Brock Purdy, he was the last pick in the draft. Guys, he walked into a the best roster with the best coaching staff in football. Brock Purdy on the Giants, you're not talking about the same player, guys. You're not. It's not the same player. Um, he walked into a team with Christian McCaffrey, good offensive line, phenomenal coaching, and an elite defense. Okay? It's a different ballgame. Not to mention Brandon Ayuk and freaking George Kittle and Debo Samuel. It's not the same ballgame. We're not say, we're not in the same even realm as the 49ers. They beat the brakes off of us. So let's let's drop the idea that you can just go out and draft Brock Purdy's and find quarterbacks in the in the undrafted to late rounds. It doesn't happen. You get lucky. It's a miracle if you land a guy like that. Um, and for the, for the most part, the Giants are so far from having a competent roster and a coaching staff like the 49ers, it's not realistic. So drop that entire concept as a freaking pipe dream. Um, 
when you're talking about actually going out and drafting a quarterback with this level of upside, you get a Jaden Daniels or a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, and you build around them. Yes, like you could set your team back five years, but here's the alternative. You stick with Daniel Jones. You draft an offensive tackle who struggles in year one. You then have to make a decision. Are we going to take the out and don't Jones's contract, or are we going to keep him? And then we have to figure out a way to get another uh, quarterback anyway, a guy that we're either going to have to trade up the draft for or, you know, we're going to have to uh, trade or sign somebody. And so now you're, you're, you're already setting yourself a year back because if we draft Jaden Downs or one of those top three quarterbacks now, you have a year to develop them. If you wait, end up taking the deal out and, and the out in Jones' deal anyway, now you have, an, you have to wait another year just to develop your quarterback. So we're actually, like, doing ourselves a disservice because next year we could draft an offensive lineman if you want to go in that direction. Um, you know, I, I just – look, the math, if you look at the math – and if the Giants say to themselves, and, and this is what I'll say to the people arguing with me or anybody else, the narrative that you have to reinforce the offensive line, let me argue a really good point against that. I think, Anthony, you, you, you will find this to be also a worthwhile argument uh, to make. If the Giants decide, we're going to take our quarterback now, we're going to invest a little bit on our offensive line, we're going to draft another guy, we're going to bring in a really great coach, um, and then we'll see, we'll see how we go from there. We'll start the developmental process. <clears throat> The Giants take the out and Daniel Jones contract. They spread the remaining $22 million debt, uh, money in dead money over the, the next two years. So you're saving like 30 mil, guys. You're saving like $30 million in 2025 and 26. My, my argument here is instead of drafting another offensive tackle in the top 10 picks, top five pick this year, most likely, instead of doing that, you take the Allen and Jones contract, you draft the quarterback, and you take that $30 million beautiful dollars, and you throw it at the best offensive tackle you can get on the market. You know what I mean? You allocate some of that towards finding a solution through free agency. Or you trade for a guy that maybe is on a contract or a bad team that's looking to get more draft capital, and you trade a draft pick for a proven commodity. That's my solution. I think that's a reasonable argument against it because you you leverage the money you save from Daniel Jones to reinforce the offensive line and you get the quarterback. I don't understand the narrative that you can't do both. You can't get a, you can't continue building your offensive line and draft the quarterback. I don't know what is going on in people's heads that like you can't do both. Um, apparently, you have to only spend first round picks on offensive tackles. It's the most unsustainable thing you can do. I, three and four years, you can't do it. It's ridiculous. Nobody in the right mind would do that. No, no good GM would spend three picks on the same position in four years. Top ten picks. It's out of control that this is even a narrative. And for what it's worth, shouldn't that prove to you that we can't develop them? If we have to spend three top ten picks in four years on offensive tackles, doesn't that prove to you it's not working? What more do you need to see? You know what I mean? Like, what more do you need to see to know it's not working than to do it a third time in four years? That's the take. Like, you take the money from Daniel Jones, you throw it at the offensive line, and you at least get average play at right tackle while you have John Michael Schmitz on a rookie deal, Thomas, in, uh, you know, obviously doing well. And then you can draft maybe uh, in the second round a guard that you can develop um, or you sign out Kevin Seitler for a much cheaper price point for the next two years. I, I really think that's a, that's a winning strategy in my books. And I think that we're going to see uh, Joe Shane do something similar to that, similar to that um, which I think I'd be all, I'd be all for. You know, I want to get your take on that uh, concept. I, I mean, it's it's an exciting concept, and I think that really, no matter which way you slice it, there's just so many options out there for the New York Giants. That's that's how I'll put it. Like, 
you can make the devil's advocate argument for this for that you know you can argue every single different roster building strategy i mean i'll agree with you i don't think that the giants would be wise to invest another top 10 pick at an offensive tackle um if they're not going quarterback i'd like them to go receiver i'd like them to take malik neighbors i think he's a game changer i think he's dj Moore 2.0 like he is a bona fide wr1 probably pretty early in his career i'd rather go that route than go with the offensive tackle uh because you got to actually just start developing some of these tackles you can't just expect them to sit step in there plug and play and just be better um and another argument you can make is that the quarterback also has a lot to do with the uh pass rushing uh woes or the uh, the pass protecting woes of the giants offense this past season so I think that no matter which way you slice it, there is a solution here. There's one way for one option to blow up in everybody's face and half of the people to say, I told you so. And then there's one way for the other option to blow up in everybody's face and the other half say, I told you so. So there's really, it's it's a complicated offseason that the Giants have coming up. And uh, I just think at the end of the day, you take the quarterback, you build around him. I do see the argument for you throw a little bit more talent on the roster, then you draft the quarterback. That's kind of what the what a few teams have done in recent years. I mean, you could say that the Miami Dolphins built the roster, then got the quarterback, but then you could actually argue that they got Tua and then Tyreek. So I don't know. It, it's it's really it's a complex situation, and I, I think that whichever way that the New York Giants go, they're going to get hate for some of it, and they're going to get love for some of it. So we'll see exactly how it shapes out. The draft board can change a lot, too, for what it's worth. Uh, we're talking about Jaden Daniels as a potential top 10 pick right now. Maybe he's the bona fide number one overall pick by the time we get to April. You know, that's possible. And he could be a serious riser. He could be a serious faller. Maybe teams get really afraid by his slender frame, and he falls in the draft. It becomes the last pick of the first round, similar to Lamar Jackson when he was drafted in 2008. You really don't know. There's so much variability to this whole situation. But what I will say is just at the end of the day, there's a way to go that the Giants could go about this and there's a way that they could choose not to go about this. I'm just hoping that Joe Shane, we've said that we trust in him. I hope he makes the right decision, whether it's the decision that I want and like or not. I hope that I'm wrong and he makes the right decision or I hope I'm right and he makes the right decision. Whatever. I just hope Joe Shane figures it out and the New York Giants return to their winning ways in 2024. That's all I want. It's all I need in life. I need my New York Giants to start winning football games. But, of course, it's going to be a really interesting offseason. We're going to be talking about this stuff all month, all of these upcoming months going on, and we're going to have a lot of different back and forth. Alex, you and I are agreeing on this one. We're not going to agree on the next one. We're not going to agree on all of them. So it's going to be really fun to just kind of dive into all the different scenarios that the Giants could play out this offseason and really take a look at how they can build for the future. And we're going to be doing all of that right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to really like if you do enjoy if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode. Comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, we'll catch you all in the next one. Have a good one. And let's go Giants.